It's gross. Some of you are allergic to it. And you have bad reactions to it. And you try to wash it off. Most of the time, it don't work very well. And you try to wash it off. You try to wash it off. But what if whatever you tried to wash it off didn't work? Soap and water didn't work. The bleach didn't work. Whatever chemical concoction you can come up with, it doesn't work. Whatever you rub that wall with, you just can't get it off. And so finally, you just kind of give up. And you get out the paintbrush and you just paint over it. How well does that work? Looks good for a while, doesn't it? But that mold's still there, isn't it? It keeps growing. And it's going to ruin that paint. It's going to come right through that paint. That paint's just going to flake off. No matter what you do, you can't get rid of it. You can paint over it again, over and over again. And it ain't going anywhere. It's still there. You might paint over it before Christmas, so when everybody comes over, they don't see it. But it's still there. And by summertime, it's all their paint's going away again. You can't get rid of it. You paint it again. It grows back more. Then you paint it, and it grows. You paint it, it grows. You paint it. There's a problem. You know what? This is the problem that God's people had in the Old Testament. They had a mold in their lives that they couldn't get rid of. They couldn't get rid of it. All they could do was paint over it. That's what the Old Testament sacrificial system was. For there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. But without shedding your own personal blood and dying for your own sins, there's no forgiveness. And so God instituted the sacrificial system where they had lambs and goats and cattle and pigeons and doves that would die in your place. So you could see that there was blood being shed, but it didn't truly cleanse the wall. It was more like painting over it. But it was what God gave them at the time, so they followed it by faith, that there was something better coming. And we see that. We're going to start tonight in the book of Hebrews. If you have your pew Bible, that's going to be on page 1006. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to start tonight. Get your fingers flexed because we're going to go around a little bit, okay? Get your Bible sword drilling skills going, okay? We're starting in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. In chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says, Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, not the reality of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the bloods of bulls and goats to take away sins. There in the book of Hebrews, you read, you read, I don't understand this whole Jesus and the sacrifice. Read the book of Hebrews. It explains it very well. We're just going to look at a few of the verses tonight. So we see here that in the same way, 
that you can't always kill the mold on the wall. These, the, the sacrifice of animals, of, of bulls and goats, could not destroy the sin in their lives. Jesus wanted, God wanted something more. He wanted something more. And so I'm going to flip back. You can follow if you want to if you're fast. But I'm just going to read a couple verses out of Psalms 51. Psalms 51, verse 14. Then I'm going to go back to Hebrews, so keep your finger up Hebrews. Sorry if I didn't warn you ahead of that time. In Psalms 51, verse 14, it says, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice is pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Even as in the Old Testament, God, David, when he wrote that, he said, it's not the sacrifice of the animal that you want. It's a humble, unbroken heart, a broken and contrite heart may be the way you learned it. A humbled heart. It's not enough just to do the ritual. It's your heart has to change. Your, your, your soul has to change. Your emotions have to change. Your attitude has to change. Your intellect has to change. It's not just doing the thing. Even God in the Old Testament needed more of his fault from his followers than just performing a ritual. He wanted heart and soul, intellect and attitude. The sacrifice comes from within. As you, did, as you, desperately, want, as you desperately want to get that mold off your wall, you should want to get rid of the sin in your life. Because as unhealthy as that mold is on your wall, is as unhealthy as the sin is in your life. Just because you turn off the light to the room doesn't mean the mold goes away. You're still breathing it. Okay, it's still getting on your skin. You can't accomplish that on your own. So going back to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. And here, the, the writer of Hebrews, whomever that is, we don't know who it is, he quotes from Psalms 40. He says, and he says, as after he says above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. He'd come to do the will of God. And he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus' quote is mentioned in the book of Psalms over and over again. The talk of Jesus is, is both the sacrifice that is offered on the altar that dies and dies, but he's also talked about as the priest who conducts the sacrifice. As, as we look through here, we see, let's continue reading in Hebrews, in verse, starting in verse 10, continuing in verse 10. But this will, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest, I'm sorry, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after offering one sacrifice for, for, for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstools. For by one offering, he, was per, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Jesus is not only the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. He's the priest that offered the sacrificial lamb. As you read through Hebrews, you see here, he uses the words forever, perfect, once for all time. That's why this altar that we have here is inside and not outside. That's why you don't have to bring an animal with you every week to church so that the priest can kill it because and Darren and Craig and I, we ain't priests. We're pastors. We're shepherds. Shepherds protect the sheep. We don't slaughter them. Okay? Remember that. It's Christ did it. He did it. He offered himself. He did it. He made your moldy soul clean. No need to repent, repaint and attempt to cover your personal mold with blood and animal sacrifices. Jesus as your sacrifice, Jesus as your sacrifice was perfect, and he perfectly cleaned your moldy sin problem. He did it. And so we see that here in Hebrews, it talks about what Jesus did, why he did it, the purpose of it. So what happened? Let's flip, now we're going to flip, go to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 19. That's the last place we're going, so you don't have to go. We're going to stick with John 19. If you've got the Pew Bible, that's page 905. In John chapter 19, starting in verses 6 and 7, it says, When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. And the Jews replied, we have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, the, being the son of God is only a crime if you're not the son of God. However, Jesus was the son of God. He came because he was born of a virgin of his virgin birth, because of the miracles he displayed, because of the sinless life he lived, he demonstrated that he is the Son of God. How did Jesus die? We read this. But people, some people have asked, is this accurate? Did they just make this up? I mean, did this stuff really happen? Well, Roman, Roman crucifixions are well-documented. Archaeologists have discovered remains of people who have been crucified. The conditions of the skeletal remains that they found confirms what we're going to read here in Scripture right now. This is the way it happened. This is the way the Romans did it. There's no doubt about it. No ancient historian ever conflicted this. Only modern theologians and philosophers argue about it since the 19th century. But in ancient times, nobody argued about it. There was no question that Jesus died. There was no question it was Jesus on the cross. 
there were some in some religions who say, well, it wasn't really Jesus. It was somebody who looked like Jesus. Okay, they were confused. All right? As we go through this, we can see they're not confused. Or he didn't really die. They just thought he died because they didn't have our medical technology. They weren't as smart as us. Right, okay. Um, there are Roman concrete places that stand up that for 2,000 years, much longer than our concrete stuff that we make today. They, they, they were pretty smart. Going down to verse 16, it says, They handed him over to be crucified. That's the Roman, the Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified by the Roman soldiers. Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is, is what is, well, I'm reading too fast. He went out to what is called Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. The Romans didn't do it in town. They did it outside of town, but they did it next to a public road. They didn't do these things in private. They did it fully public. In America, when we do an execution now, if one happens, it's done in deep in a dungeon, a room with no windows, and only a few people are allowed in there, and no video cameras. Okay? Romans didn't do it that way. They wanted everybody to see. This is what happens when you go against the Roman Empire. And so everybody could see. There's no mistaking in who was up on those crosses. There were three people there. And we know from Roman times, people had to carry their own cross. That was part of the punishment, was to carry that cross beam with them through the streets to that place, which at that time, where Golgotha is, at that time was outside of town. It's outside the old city. You can still find that place. If you, go to, if you haven't even been to Jerusalem, you can find that place. I haven't been there, but I know. I've seen pictures. You can find that place. The Romans, they were a harsh and cruel master. Verses 18 to 22. There they crucified him and two others with him. One on the either side. With him and two others with him, one on either side of Jesus, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also made a sign and put it on the cross. And it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews came to Pilate and said, Don't write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. Part of being a public execution is, why are you hanging there? And they made a sign that they put it across the top, and they put it in three languages so everybody could read it. What your crime was. And his crime was, he was the king of the Jews. Pharisees didn't like that. They said, well, he's not really our king, because they already said in the crowd scene earlier that we didn't read, he said, no, we have no king but Caesar. They, they got their wish, because 40, 50 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed, and Caesar was their only king. King of the Jews, the Messiah. That was messianic connotations. The Jews knew that. That was a title for another title for the Messiah. 
The Messiah is our Hebrew word. The Greek word for Messiah is Christ. The English word for Messiah and for Christ is anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And that's what it said up there for everybody to see. Going on in verse uh, 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four parts and a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldier did. That was just part of the deal of being a Roman soldier. That was part of your pay. You got stuff from people. And they didn't have people, victims, criminals didn't have rights. Once you were convicted, there was no giving stuff to the next to kin. You forfeited everything to the Roman state. Sometimes the leaders took it, sometimes the soldiers got it. That's just the way the Romans worked. And we see that as you go through Scripture, you see how the Roman soldiers worked. When Jesus said, if somebody asked you to carry a pack for a mile, carry it for two. That was a law. The Romans could do that. A Roman soldier, if you were walking down the road, the Roman soldier says, here, you carry my backpack for the next mile. That was the law. You had to do that. And Jesus says, you know, if they ask you to do that, just go for two. Just show them some grace. Because the Roman soldiers are that way, and here they are taking stuff, because that's what they did. They weren't God-fearing people. They followed Zeus, not God the Father. Verse 25, standing by the cross, Jesus, where Jesus was his mother, standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her into his house. That disciple took her into his house. So was Jesus up there? Was somebody up there that just looked like Jesus? His mother was there. Now, he wasn't looking so pretty right now. He had been, he had been beaten. He had been whipped. The crown of thorns had been on his head. I don't know if they were still on or if they had taken him off, taken him off by that time. But he, he was a mess. He, he did not look pretty. He, he, was, he was a bloody mess, quite literally. But mom still knows, right? Mom still knows you. These other women that followed Jesus for three years knew who Jesus was. They would have known if that was an imposter if that was a doppelganger. And if that was an imposter or doppelganger, he wouldn't have known who those people were. He wouldn't have known that was one of his disciples and that, was his, that, one, that woman there was his mother, not one of the other ones. Jesus was there. It was Jesus. It wasn't somebody else. And part of the crucifixion thing, you think, well, he's dying. How can he even talk and see? Crucifixion is actually a slow death. The Romans, if they wanted to, they could leave you up there for days, depending on how they strung you up there. If they put a brace under your feet, you could stay up there a little bit longer, and if they didn't put a brace under your feet, they, they, they were cruel. They really were. And he's hanging there, and to take a breath, he has to push up. 
Okay, I know it's not, it wasn't a pretty sight. If you ever seen The Passion, that's kind of on that par. You know, and then when he's not taking a breath, he's hanging down. His arms are pulled out of their socket. It's not a pretty picture. And he went willingly to do this. Romans didn't believe in, you know, you know, you know, and, you know no cruel or unusual punishment. They go, no, it's, it's how cruel and unusual can we make it? They prided themselves in it. And so here was Jesus. He was up there. He could see. He could talk. People recognized him. It was Jesus. It wasn't a doppelganger. It wasn't an imposter. It wasn't a mistaken identity. In verse 28, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, and they fixed a sponge full of the sour wine, and on a hyssop branch, they held it up to him, to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So he was up there. He's, you know, he's, he's much, the cross was much higher than this. They put a sponge on a stick, and they stuck it up way up high so he could suck off that sponge. Think about him. He's out there. He's out in the sun. He's dehydrated just from everything that's happened. He's loss of blood. And all the bodily fluids, he's, he's, of course he's thirsty. But wh- why does he want to drink now? He wants to drink now so he can say the final words. And so everybody could understand the prophetic saying that he was going to say. It is finished. They needed to understand and hear those words. It is finished. But what is finished? The, the account that Darren, wrote from Mark, Darren read from Mark, it said the t- curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And it wasn't like your curtains that are only six feet up. It was much taller. Top to bottom. But what curtain was torn? The curtain to the Holy of Holies, where the tabernacle, where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was. Yeah, the one from the Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, that one. Okay, it was in there. But nobody could see it. It was inside the temple, which only the priests and the Levites could go into. And then even in there, it was in another room in the back with a curtain, and only one priest could go in there one time per year during the Day of Atonement. In the modern Jewish calendar, it's called Yom Kippur. He could only go in there one day out of the year. And that was it. That that curtain to that part of the temple was torn from top to bottom because God said, you don't need that anymore. And the priest could only go in there if he had blood with him from a sacrificial lamb to spray on on, on the Ark of the Covenant. And before he could do that, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he was doing it for the sins of Israel. Jesus was the perfect priest. He didn't need to offer a sacrifice for himself and his sins. He was the sacrifice for you and me, for our sins. They needed to constantly atone for their sacrifices with repeated sacrifices, repeated offerings year after year. Jesus said, it is finished. You don't need to do that anymore. 
Jesus' work on earth was complete. It was finished. He came, he was born, he preached, he healed, he cast out demons, he raised people from the dead. It was finished. He didn't need to do that anymore. Because he completed the work. And as you read, continue reading down through here, you, you see this. You see people recognized who Jesus was. They add details in here that could only be details of somebody who was there and saw it. Jesus died on the cross. It says, as you read down through there, it says they came, and you read the other gospel accounts, it says the Pharisees wanted these guys off the cross because at sunset it became the Sabbath day. And they wanted them off the cross before, because the next day was Passover. And they wanted these guys off the crosses before sunset. So like I said, they could leave you up there for days if they wanted to, but they could shortcut it. they come up and break your legs. Take a big stick and... And then you couldn't push up anymore, so you couldn't breathe. And you asphyxicated, suffocated. And that's what they did to the two thieves, but they got to Jesus, and they looked, and he was already dead. And these guys know death, because if they took somebody down that wasn't dead, the punishment was they die. They're not taking somebody down that's not dead. They understood death very well. They didn't let Jesus. But just to make sure, what it says in there, one of the soldiers took a spear and put it up in his side, underneath his ribcage. It said, and blood and water flowed. And there's medical descriptions you can read about that, what all the details behind that. But it makes sense medically what happened. And even as if he wasn't dead, after that, you punctured your heart with a spear, you're not living. Jesus was dead. He didn't swoon he wasn't just passed out and they thought he was dead. There's no mistake about it. The Roman soldiers would not take down somebody who was not dead. And as you read down through there, you see Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus and put him in the tomb. They wouldn't take somebody down that they didn't know who he was. They didn't want to take down a stranger. They were putting their own, literally their necks on the line because they were being Pharisees themselves and it says Joseph was, uh, was on the Sanhedrin court. They're putting their careers and their livelihood at stake by helping G and bury Jesus. They're not going to do that for some stranger. They knew who Jesus was. And as you read the other gospel accounts, you see that these women that were mentioned followed them and saw where they buried him. There was no mistaking where these things happened. There was no mistaking of who it happened to. These events did not surprise God. As you read down through here, it talks about, you keep reading again and again, Scripture from the Old Testament that predicts what's going to happen, that Jesus, none of Jesus' bones were broken. And there's multiple Scriptures that do that. Psalm 22 is one of them. There is nothing in here that you can use to say Jesus didn't do this, that this didn't happen to Jesus. And he did it for you and for me. Jesus was born, he lived, he taught, he proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. He called people to repentance, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, and now finally dies for the remissions of sins, your sins, my sins. Your moldy, wretched life has been atoned for by the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So if you've never done it before, repent of your moldy, wretched sins. 
Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is written on these words in this Bible. And believe it enough that you'll actually, one, read it. Believe it enough that you'll actually say, I'm going to live that way. Because it's quite different than our culture sometimes. Turn to God today, for you don't know what tomorrow holds. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you do. We thank you that Jesus came. We thank you that he died for our sins. That through Jesus, we have forgiveness. We don't have to go through all the rituals that the Jews had to go through that Moses laid down for them but that we can come to you for forgiveness. We can come to you for atonement. We can come to you for eternal life because you have the words of eternal life. And Lord, we know that you didn't stay there and that the resurrection that you performed, that you did, that you conquered death so that we can conquer death. And we praise that, Lord. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.